welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, Knock On Podcast 212. I should have had my buddy Andy Stump on this. That's his number. It's symbolic to his background. But I needed to do a podcast where it's just me, it's just you guys, and we talk about several things that um, are relative right now. One of the first things I want to talk about just because the timing is I just want to let you guys know um, I will not be at the ATA show. Um, I'm also not going to be at the SHOT Show. Um, I'm, this past this past hunting season, I, I, I think I possibly mashed the pedal a little too hard. Um, and I'm starting to, starting to break down a little bit. So I need to just chill out and I need to, uh, be able to recover, need to be able to, you know, get back on a life's routine and also be able to uh, have some family time as well. Uh, Harry's been home and he's home. Uh, this is his last week home from college. So I want to be able to utilize that time as much as I can. So just so everyone out there knows, um, most of the products that are going to be introduced there um, that are relative to brands that I like, I've already seen them. Um, there's actually some videos that are going to be playing in the ATA that you, if you're there walking around, you're going to see me in them. Ones that I've already done, uh, you know, product kind of product tech segments and things like that. So you'll see them. Um, and then if I get approval, I'll be able to release those videos um, on my YouTube channel as well. Hopefully I get that uh, just so I can show you guys some of the stuff um, and we can go from there. But uh, if you're going, have fun and enjoy it. I, this was my first time not there in 20 years. Um, but I feel like a lot of the products that are there, you guys have already seen. There's a few of them that you haven't. Um, so I think there'll be a few that... You're going to be excited about which is cool but um i'm not going to be there i'll be here i'll be continuing to get these videos out for you and the homework segments uh we got a homework segment coming up this week as we move into our second month of the school knock and obviously we've people are really starting to see progression and i could not be happier with the response, um, we're almost, I don't know, maybe close to 3,000 uh, hashtags for School of Knock. I do set um, an exact time every day where I just go through these hashtags and try to give feedback. And if you're doing something good, I'll like it. Um, if there's something I feel like I need to talk about, I'll, I'll give you a comment. Um, so I'm, I'm committed to you guys out there. And I know that there's a lot of you that are really committed. There's, just like with anything, there's some of you that have fallen off the bandwagon. And uh, 
yeah, I get it. You know, some of this stuff when people say they want to do everything to shoot great, um, some people, it's just like a New Year's resolution. They want to do it until they realize that sometimes there's regression before progression and um, something, you know, and it does take commitment. One of the things I do want you all to know is just because um, <clears throat> I'm talking about how many arrows I want you to shoot a day or um, or per end or, or whatever, you know, not everyone's going to be able to shoot archery five or seven days a week. Don't burn yourself out. You know, make sure you keep a pace. Uh, but you do need to have some commitment. I would say minimally every other day would be, you know, a minimum for me if I were to have a preference. But, you know, if you're into it and you're doing it every day, that's great. Just recognize the days where you're sore, especially some of the things that I talked about in relation to shoulder position. Um, and posture now, a lot of you are starting to feel the burn, so to speak, with something that's utilizing new muscles and starting to, you're starting to, f to realize how finite some of the muscles are that you're using. So, um, I understand all that. Don't be afraid to take a rest day. Uh, honestly, don't overtraining is something that I'm, uh, I'm a big opponent to. I don't, I don't feel like you have to train all the time. I know some people, it makes you feel guilty. Um, but read your body and if you feel like things are, if you feel like you're, you know, exhausted on stuff, you know, one or two days break makes a world of difference. So, um, you know, don't, don't feel like, like you have to do it. Um, if you feel guilty about not doing archery, then maybe that's a day where you either do a homework assignment or, you know, if your D loops worn out and it's, and you know that you should have been replacing that, like maybe that's the time or center serving, um, some arrows that are beat up, maybe take a night and really go through your arrows and inspect them all, maybe strip some down and refletch some. Um, otherwise this really is a great time as well to start to incorporate a little bit of uh, fitness and weight training into uh, your weekly routine. So a lot of times when I'm shooting and I start to get to the point where I, I feel like maybe my shooting muscles are a bit exhausted, um, I might take that next day off from shooting and then really focus on getting a good workout. So overall I feel better. Um, and you know, I think it, I think it just helps, uh, reboot the mind. So don't be afraid of that. Um, thumbs up to everyone out there. I think we're somewhere around 3000 hashtags now for school of knock and in only five weeks. Um, I'm doing my best to, to give you guys feedback and I'm certainly seeing progression and I love the fact that so many of you out there are starting to self-identify and also so many of you out there <clears throat> are starting to look back at your old pictures and think, oh man, okay, I get what he's saying now. You know, look, here's me three months ago. I, was, I, I realize now I was doing that wrong. Um, all that is just so critical because self-evaluation is really what I'm striving for 
for all of you because I feel like if you have the ability to self-evaluate, then you have the ability to make corrections in the field. And I'm a big um, supporter to that because I don't like it when people always have to fall onto a coach for knowing what's wrong. Um, there comes a point where with students I have to just reduce the amount of information I'm giving to them because I feel like it's at an important point with their shooting where they're able to start realizing you don't completely need me now. What you need is you need confidence in yourself to just trust everything that you know and start to just recognize when things might be going a little, you know, a little weak, get a little lazy, uh, etc. So, you know, I like it that people are starting to see that. They're starting to self-evaluate. The other thing is you all need to recognize that you're going to start feeling like some things are off, especially now, because we're moving into a point where we've talked about foundation with our stance, uh, grip position, which does have some effect on draw length. Like if someone used to shoot a high wrist, they're extending that bow out a little bit further so your draw length might feel different whereas now if you're leaning on that door and have an even pressure across the palm um, that can change slightly then obviously front shoulder huge factor in how the length or size of that bow starts to feel because you can adjust your draw length probably as much as three inches just from front shoulder position. Um, a lot of people ask me how I shoot, you know, someone's bow that's 28 inches and I still don't look like I'm totally crunched into my shot. It's because I'm keeping my back half exactly where I want it to be and I'm keeping my front arm, so to speak, um, in the position I want. But all I'm doing is removing that slack with my scapula. So if I want to shoot a 28-inch bow, I'm compressing my scapula back against my spine um, to take up that slack. So I'm not shooting tall. I'm not shooting proud, um, which these are all things that you should be looking at the Knock on Archer YouTube channel for the School of Knock, and you'll recognize some of these terms. Um, so I'm compressed, I'm shooting small, and because of that, I'm not able to pull through my shot the way that I would normally like to do on my own bow. However, um, I am able to just make a fist on the release until I get a surprise release. It's not something that I would do for longevity. It's just something that I'm doing for long enough to shoot someone's bow uh, that's a little bit shorter than me. Now... Like with Chad Mendez, his bow was even shorter than the slack I could take up in my front shoulder position. So then I had to really start to bend my front arm, and that makes it tough. So for all of you out there that are starting to understand this expansion and your 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 front shoulder positioning and how you can you know your manipulation of your upper um, chest cavity, how you can either shoot small and rolled over and 
crunch into a small drawing or you can take a deep breath and shoulders are back and you know you have this proud stance like you're you know standing at attention in the military um you start to recognize that and then all of a sudden you we start talking about where proper anchor position is and now all of a sudden people are going man i don't i can't even get to the string with my nose otherwise my head is just completely tipped forward and hey that's exactly where we want to be and it's probably not something that you would identify if I tried to give you all this in one session. It just wouldn't it wouldn't happen. What would happen is you would end up, you know, trying to just look through your peep first and foremost, and you would adjust everything, and and a lot of stuff wouldn't register, and and we would just you know, it you wouldn't be able to comprehend everything that I was putting in front of you, but. As it stands now, when you are focusing on one thing at a time and building, you're starting to realize, okay, that feels good. And honestly, now that we're four weeks in um, <clears throat> to thinking about stance, most of you out there, if you had to make an adjustment in your stance during that first week, by now, you're not feeling awkward in that position. And again, this is all the things that I want. So, <clears throat> and I'm struggling with the cold, so... Uh, that's why my voice is hoarse and I'm going to have to take some drinks while I talk. Otherwise, I'm going to lose control of it here. So, moving into this next week, the subject or the topic is now going to be finding your peep site. And I'm going to obviously record, uh, release a video today. Um, this is um, a day behind, but I was traveling until today or until yesterday. But uh, so it's Tuesday, January 8th, um, and I'm going to be releasing a video today on PEEP. That's going to be your next step. So we've got stance, grip, shoulder, anchor, and now is going to be the PEEP site. And the importance of acquiring the peep site after the stance, after the shoulder, after the anchor is because once you start shooting on different types of terrains or elevations where you might be shooting up or you might be shooting down, it's important that you're able to go through the, this process anchor, find your anchor so that the position on your face is the same all the time. You know you know your draw links and check and then you're going to slightly adjust your head so that the strings at the tip of your nose now if the string is not at the tip of your nose then you're going to start to find a few things one am i a taller person and i'm trying to shoot this real short axle axle bow where the string angle is very sharp if you are, and if you really like that bow, then what you're going to find is you're going to have to make that draw length a slight, a slight bit longer, and the string will come further back on the face just so that the string itself can come back enough to touch the tip of your nose. I actually have seen several of you during this week uh, of class where the string is maybe a quarter inch from your nose now and you're making comments like 
in order for me to put the tip of my nose on the string now or look through my peep, I feel like my head's tipping forward just a little bit. And you're right. So your options are either to have that tip, which most people aren't going to like, or the next thing is to slightly lengthen your draw length so that the string comes back in just recognize the gap if there's only a quarter inch between the string and the tip of your nose when your head's in a, a vertical position then that's what you're going to have to increase that draw length with um, and the best way to do it if it's that close is just putting some twists in your cables or having your local shop put some twists in your cables and the string's going to come back a little bit more and it's going to touch the tip of your nose now, if you feel like now your anchor position is starting to be a little bit overextended, then what you may have to do is slightly shorten your D-loop um, so that your anchor stays the same, your head position stays the same, but now the string is a little bit uh, further back and touching the tip of your nose. Now, for a bow that's very large axle-to-axle -axle and that has a big brace height, like a lot of the bows that I used to shoot uh, years ago, what you'll notice if you look back at those is because the string angle is so open, in other words, it's spread apart, it's, it's very steep, what you'd find is the strings would stop a little bit in front of the corner of the mouth and then the string would go up and touch the tip of the nose and I would have to shoot a longer, a little bit longer D-loop back then than what I do now. And that's so all this, all these pieces of the puzzle lined up. So in the podcast or uh, in the video today, I'm going to show you the importance of peep acquisition and how that affects things. The other thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an assignment. Um, and for this assignment, I'm actually going to use the um, training target that I came out with. Um, so the targets that, that I brought out, in case you're not on social media, it's a self-healing target. So when you pull the arrows out, the target's close shut. Uh, they have really good life, super high visibility. I'm really happy with them. And you're able to keep them outside. Um, and if they get rained on, then, you know, they're not going to fall apart uh, like paper will. But on the training one, I have a white crosshair. There's also a large dot behind the crosshair, and then there's four stars. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an assignment of understanding peep acquisition, and I'm going to have you aim at each one of those four stars and do something slightly different with your peep sight and allow you to see how that affects the impact of the arrow. So this is going to be a really cool week. Um, I think a lot of you out there are going to start to realize, oh, okay, now I understand why all this starts to come together this way. And the other thing is, if you saw a post that I made, um, I don't know, it was earlier this year, um, and I'll repost it again, but it was a picture of me at full draw, and it had number it had arrows pointing to four positions one two three four and it talked about um it talked about you know i guess uh I'm trying to think how i said it 
Um, might be able to find it today. Um, let's see. Look and see if I can find it. Um, might not be able to. But it was more or less showing you how when you do things right, um, you're going to have four reference points on your face. Um, it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to just have your anchor and just have your peep. So when you are set up properly, when your head position is proper and when the string and everything is set right, what you're going to feel is you're going to actually have four points of reference uh, between your chin and your eye. The first point of reference is going to be your anchor position. So how that hand fits on the face um, or where you're anchored. So, you know, being in the same exact anchor position every time is number one. Number two is going to be, you're going to be able to feel the string very lightly on the corner or just past the corner of the mouth. So you'll actually feel the string barely resting on the side. And since most of us have a few whiskers there or the sides of our lips do have quite a bit of sensitivity, you'll feel the string barely there. I don't want you to feel it pressed in um, like people that just dig into a kisser button. And I don't even want you to not feel it. I want you to be able to barely feel just almost as if you're holding the finger on the side of your lip just light enough to where you feel like something's touching it. That's what I want you to feel. Then the third reference point is going to be the string at the tip of the nose. And this is really important because some of you out there, your pictures of you shooting you're finding that anchor position now, but you're also, the string is on the side of the nose and not on the front of the nose. So you're overdrawing that bow back and because of the position of your peep, you're, you're almost in the habit of wanting to look through the peep sight before you anchor. And because of that, you're pulling that peep further back towards the eye than what I would like to see. And so the strings on the side of your nose. And this is really important because if you're thinking about these four contact points or these four reference points, the anchor position, like I said, barely feeling like it, you know, if I was trying to tickle you with like a long blade of grass on the corner of the mouth, you know, just enough to where you wanted to like swat your hand at it thinking it was a mosquito, like that's what I want you to feel. And then the string at the tip of the nose, it's a big identifier because if you are mentally checking these things, then what happens is if all of a sudden you're deep into your shot and your shot's not going off and you start thinking, what the heck's going on? All of a sudden you realize, oh crap, the string is on the side of my nose. It's like I can feel it on my nostril. Well, bam, that's a big indicator of you have an improper alignment cancel that shot let it down you know start over these are all the little things that add up one point at a time and that's a difference between the people that can shoot 298s and the people that can shoot 299s and the people that can shoot 300s in the long distance world it's the difference between people that could have 1400 stars or people that could not even though they were great shots
because these little teeny things, you know, making a shot with added string pressure on your face, string on the side of the nose for one shot, embedded, embedded into the corner of your mouth, and then you shoot, well, at 90 meters, those are the people that all of a sudden shoot unexpected sevens, and three points are gone that fast. Um, so you've got anchor, you got the corner of the mouth, tip of the nose, and then the last reference point is looking directly through the peep sight. And from there, you're going to be able to work on front sight, rear sight acquisition, which I will talk about in the video um, that I'm going to put up here later today or this afternoon. Um, so I'm I'm thinking you're going to you're going to really, really enjoy this week. And honestly, this is going to be the last week of your systematic checks uh, before the last step of my shot routine, which I'm not going to say what it is. Um, it's not really um, something that has to do with your form more so than with your execution. So this is kind of the last form week in the shot process. So make sure you take it serious. And I'm going to have you do a little bit of um, experimenting here on the first or the second day so that you understand what the hell I'm even talking about right now. Um, all right. So from there, let's move into a few questions that I've been asked that I, there's some of them are random, some of them are, are relative, <clears throat> but they are some that I think we should touch on. Um, the first one here is going to be from CSRMRNO. I don't know what all that means, but it means something to you. Uh, says, just bought a thumb release and accidentally shot an arrow. Just wondering if this is fairly common when switching from a release, uh, wrist release to a thumb. The other thing is, would it be common for things like peep sight, draw length, um, etc. to change when making this switch? Lastly, would you recommend a less active trigger to avoid accidents? So all these are important. I know there's so many of you changing over to handheld releases. Um, just so you know, we have we did a pretty good job of luckily making sure we had um, releases in stock for this whole process. I th I will tell you, um, inventory is getting like critically low right now, and there is going to be some gap in when we will have more releases. So if you're on the bubble, this is your warning. Um, if you're on the bubble of whether or not you know you should get a silverback or a knock to it or too smooth, then now's <laughs> the time. Otherwise, you're gonna you're gonna be waiting. Um, probably until this school knock series is done. Um, so when you change over, yeah, the the trigger on like especially um, especially the knock to it, it's a very high end trigger. This you know the release is expensive for a reason. You know it's it's a two hundred dollar product. It's not a seventy dollar product because it has really high-end trigger mechanisms the same as a really high-end rifle and 
you know, you're able to set that up to where it works off pressure and not travel, whereas most caliper releases or wrist strap releases do indeed work off travel. Although it's very small, there is travel there. And a lot of times the quote unquote pressure that you need to put on the trigger before it fires is more like how much you're able to have it travel. So it won't necessarily feel as sensitive. So to kind of answer question one and uh, three, um, if you are switching from one to the other, yeah, you could easily bump the trigger and not realize it doesn't take much to set it off. Now you do have the ability to set it stiffer, uh, which goes into question three. And yeah, if you're if you're new to it, there's a fine line there. Um, you don't want like a hair trigger. You want to be able to at least get your finger on it before you start your pull. And this is going to lead into something for next week's um, School of Anak, um, which I'll talk to you obviously or talk about obviously next week. Um, but it also is important that when your hands are cold, if you're wearing gloves, if you're shooting a hair trigger, which you can set it up that way if you want, um, if your hands are cold or if you have gloves on, then you could run into an issue of prematurely setting that release off. So yeah, to be safe, um, you know, you can follow, uh, if you go on to the knock on archery website and you click on the knock to it, there are videos there of how to adjust the trigger. You can also go to the knock on archery YouTube channel and, you know, you can look up knock to it, search for knock to it and how to, you know, how to set up your release. I talked through that, you know, you know, loosening the small, the small little set screw on the side. You can turn the screw that comes in on the top of the release. Um, the bigger screw, you can turn that clockwise and it'll increase spring tension. Uh, counterclockwise decreases it. And then once you do an adjustment, you can, uh, tighten down that small little set screw that holds the tension screw in place and then from there you have to cock the release put a allen wrench into the trigger into the back of the the actual trigger arm and slowly turn that uh, until it fires and then once it does you back it off about you know a quarter turn or so and you know, then you can, that's allowing you to adjust spring tension, not just travel. Um, so yeah, if you want to have a little bit more security and getting to learn it, then you can easily make it just a little bit stiffer. It might be a little bit hot out of the package if you didn't adjust it. Um, and so the next thing is your second question of, um, do things like your draw length and peep start to feel different? And depending on where you used to anchor, then yes, they certainly could. If you were a thumb behind the neck person, then that means you probably had your draw length way further back on the face to begin with. Or if you were a thumb behind the neck, your arrow would be way lower on the face. It would be at the bottom of the chin or under the chin. So the length of that bow... Um, would technically feel quite a bit different than when you're anchoring properly. So in this case, I would recommend you look at this past week's um, homework for the school knock, which would be anchor up because I talk about this and it'll show you the difference in both. And it'll also show you that 
if you were doing the caliper release anchoring properly to begin with, then the transition between the two is very easy. I can actually shoot the same peep position um, and transition from one to the other without a problem. Uh, next question here is, uh, is it better to use a smaller scope for indoor spots and a larger scope for 3D or what size do you recommend for both? So um, for most like target setups, <clears throat> if you're a hunter, you don't really know what I'm talking about, but for most target setups, there's differences in scope diameters. A lot of people that shoot 3D, they like a bigger scope because when they put magnification in it, and it magnifies too much on just the vitals of these 3D animals, it gets really hard to see where you're at on the target when you're aiming in a dark tunnel. A lot of times it's in woods, they cut lanes. So having the bigger overall lens allows you to still have the magnification that you would want, but you have a bigger field of view so you start to understand, okay, I'm aiming at the front half of the animal not back in its ass because you know if you put a eight power magnifying glass on something and all you're doing is looking in the center of a bullseye well if there's no reference point in there you don't really know where in the bullseye you're at whereas you know if you have this really gigantic magnifying glass and it's still that same magnification well now if you're looking at the bullseye you at least know where you're at in the bullseye because you can see the other ring around it. That That's kind of the thought process to the bigger scopes for 3D shooters because lighting is normally a lot trickier. Now for indoor archery, you know, you're normally at a very fixed distance, um, normally 18 meters, and you're aiming at bullseye targets. So, you know, you're not trying to shoot at a, a black foam bear in a shaded underneath a shaded tree so there's a lot more contrast and color um, there's slight variations in lighting but not a ton um, so to answer the question I normally shot a 29 millimeter indoor um, scope uh, and then for 3ds I would normally shoot a 35 millimeter now some people like a 42 millimeter for me personally I always felt like it was too big um, but I never shot a lot of magnification for power for magnification is about as much as what I really like for indoor. There's times where I've shot six, um, but not all the time. So the other thing too is a lot, um, in indoor shooting, you have to recognize what the, the lighting environment is where you're at. So with um, I like to make sure I frame properly and this is going to be one of the things we talk about this week in the school um, so I really like having front sight rear sight perfect uh, acquisition so I, I do have to recognize um, a basic rule of the smaller your peep sight the smaller your groups are going to be too when you shoot a really big peep your ability to have a, ver a margin of error in front sight rear sight is going to be greater. The smaller your peep sight, the smaller your front front sight rear sight um, objective is going to be. So you will shoot better groups um, 
just because you have way less ability to have left, right, up, and down variation because the peep is smaller. But when you start to reduce the peep size, you also start to re restrict lighting. So it's not convenient in a hunting situation. If you're shooting in a blind, there's no way you're going to be able to look through a target peep uh, in that dark tunnel like that. Um, certain indoor places where they don't have good lighting, yeah, it can be a real pain in the butt. Um, so there's there's kind of a there's a give and take there. There's a sweet spot, um, and it's also a big reason why in target archery you have the ability to adjust your sight forward and back. The reason that sight bar is there is because you also need to be able to adjust your sight closer to you so that the closer you bring that circle to you the bigger the circle is going to appear on your on your scope housing so if you are having to shoot a slightly larger peep because you're shooting in really bad lighting conditions then you may have to bring that that front scope closer to you so that you can have a perfect eclipse perfect front sight rear sight acquisition so that's kind of the factors that you need in there. Um, but yeah, me personally, uh, a lot of the time when I first started shooting 3D, I shot like a 1 and 3 eighths, but I also shot a low power lens, 3 power, 4 power. Um, now with the Sherlock's, I shoot a 29 millimeter uh, for indoor, 35 for outdoor and 3D. Uh, and I do do fine with them. So hopefully that helps you two out. Uh, appreciate it. And then let's see here. We've got a, about five more that I saved. Uh, next question here is from <coughs> Knock on Newman. Cool uh, picture, by the way, for your Instagram. Uh, any tips on trying an IQ site for my eight-year-old son? He's just getting into the Knock on Nation, has great fundamentals. I want him to be able to use the IQ feature on his site which for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, he's talking about what they refer to as a retina lock, um, which is really cool. It's a, it's a green circle with a black circle in the center. So if you have any torque in your front hand, you're not able to perfectly center the black dot in the big green dot. Um, likewise true with like heel pressure, like if you're pushing down with your heel too much on the, on the grip or if you have a high wrist, it'll change so what he's saying is um, it's hard to know if he's actually looking through it properly and understanding it um, and I don't know if he's giving me proper feedback to know where to adjust it um, and then he says tough question to answer but much appreciated for the help uh, yeah it is very difficult I think what I talk about this week in the uh, segment will help with this if you have them watch and utilize the same fundamentals as what I'm using to describe front sight rear sight alignment. Talk with them about that. Give them a little diagram. You know, have something where you show them um, what exactly he's looking for and what changes he has to make, um, and then let him let him go from there. So. Uh, you should easily be able to use what I talk about as an example and then just modify it to show them like, hey, here's a green plate, here's a black cup, you know, 
you can't have it over here you can't have it over here you can't have it up here you know just tell them I want you to have perfect form and just tell me what you see and have them slide that cup on the on the plate well my black dots up here okay if you were looking at this technique and it looked good then you should easily be able to make those adjustments and go from there but yeah a little example diagram or like I said putting a black cup on a green plate um, and having him slide that cup to what he's seeing that'll help you <clears throat> sorry everyone my voice is going I'm filling up with congestion too um, let's see BS Agrillo is saying um, I was wondering if you could help what exercises are recommend to strengthen the shoulder muscles that I've been working these last couple weeks I'm struggling with it and, it, and uh, my shooting is really good for a couple ends, but then poor at the ends. I can barely get the silver back to fire the more tired I get. Is there something I'm doing wrong? Uh, hold on, people. i got to clear some congestion. I would say no. What you're doing is right because you're identifying this. Um, listen, that front shoulder is a is a bugger, and learning to use some of these archery muscles are a bugger too because there's not much in everyday life that simulates them um, coming up here in the future <laughs> I am going to be doing uh, a video with uh, one of my buddies Corey Drees who uh, runs a, uh, a sports chiropractic clinic here locally and he has been uh, so helpful to me um just helping me when i i get tight when i get sore when i'm you know when i need an, an adjustment which you know does certainly help me and and uh you know i've been struggling with some some shoulder issues too that i haven't talked about publicly um so you know there's there's certainly a challenge here and it's a big reason why I've credited my fitness to being able to be a strong archer because I feel like overall things that I do in fitness really really build my overall body strength and that's why I've kind of gone on record in the past to say archery is one of the few sports I feel like you can be stronger than the sport because if you're really strong you can just power through some of these things and it doesn't affect you but if you're not in really you know what I would say super athletic shape then you're relying on things that you may not have ever used before so I'm gonna have Corey on to talk about specific movements that people can do at home or in limited uh, gym stuff to be able to work on building those front shoulders and building that but scapular strength is really what you're looking for and if nothing else just YouTube it's hard for me to talk about that I could show you if we were you know standing in the same place I could show you but obviously this is a podcast so um, but what you are looking for essentially is what's called scapular stability. So you could Google, um, or YouTube scapular stability movements or scapular strength movements. And 
then you're going to find what you need to to uh, be able to build that front shoulder up. Um, next question here is from Andrew underscore Warboys saying, just curious why you wrap your arrows where you put the veins on. I shoot full metal jackets, and I find that wraps come um, help things come off easier. Well, so there's several reasons. We sell the knock-on wraps. I'm, I've been shooting vinyl. I'm looking at arrows over here next to me that have vinyl wraps on that I used to do myself. This was before vinyl was available on arrows. Um, it was like, it was essentially signed vinyl. Um, but back when I shot uh, target arrows and really wanted to, you know, went through a lot of fletchings, especially on super high priced arrows, removing old fletchings off and, and you know, kind of, scraping off that carbon was just a terrible decision so for longevity um i did it and also because back then you had to use slow slow cure glues um, for a lot of the veins that we shot back then so the vinyl actually helped the glue cure faster it would it would dry faster and then for whatever reason there were certain times where like i don't know certain runs of like aluminum arrows would would just challenge me to get fletchings to stick on with vinyl that consistency is just totally trustworthy um of you know being able to roll it on easy you know no one had figured out rolling on vinyl wraps back then we like laid it on the shaft with our finger and it went back and forth and half the times you had a crinkle in it till someone discovered how to just lay the vinyl upside down you know on a wrap pad and slide the arrow to it and push and roll forward and you're like oh my god why didn't i think of that well that right there is one of the benefits just being able to fletch faster reduce the integrity uh, or extend the integrity of your arrow by when you want to remove those you're just removing the vinyl uh, a lot of times once you get it started you can peel it off really well um, but even on you know like aluminum arrows it just seems like the fletching sticks so much more consistently um, and then it also gives you higher visibility. So those are all the benefits and, and why I really like them. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Uh, next question is from Cody Nicolay. He's saying, I have a 30-inch um, front bar with uh, 2 ounces of weight on it and a 12-inch rear bar with 9 ounces of weight. I've also played around with 85% and 75% modules on my bow. Um, which is a Halon X, so a Matthews Halon X, and I can't really tell um, what the re what the reason would be for having lower let off. I've been struggling with issues floating around on the target a lot and can't figure it out. Um, so he's mainly talking about he feels like he he's seeing a lot more movement in everything that's going on than what he should be. And he's also tried different let-offs to see if it would help. So there's certain target archers that say having more holding weight 
really helps stabilize the float of the bow, which in some cases it certainly can. Um, I think what lower let off does for me is it makes me be a little bit more dynamic in my shot. I can't be lazy. If I'm weak on the shot, I feel myself coming off the wall and, you know, rear wall tension is very very important to accuracy it's super important with compound bows and i think it's a big reason why people that shoot a silverback all of a sudden have this like mind blowing experience of my pin is moving around a lot but the arrows are going in the middle how is this happening um, and it's happening because your rear wall pressure is consistent because as you're pulling, you have to pull against that wall to a certain pressure when the release fires. And because you're learning for the first time to be dynamic and pull through the shot, you're starting to realize that even if the front pin's moving, the arrows are tighter together than if you're perfectly stagnant but weak on the back end of uh, the bow, which is against the, the, the cam stops. So... There could be a couple things here. One could certainly be the dynamics of how you pull through your shot. <clears throat> if you're an aimer, then you could struggle um, unless you have very consistent wall tension. Um, you could struggle. Uh, the other thing too is draw length really affects, really affects uh, how the bow holds. Um, the other thing too is where your arrow uh, position is, in other words, your knocking points. If you think of the hole that your arrow rest mounts into, that's called the burger button hole. And if you bring a straight line back to the string from that burger button hole, you can imagine that if you go exactly through the dead center of that burger button hole straight back to the string and you know let's just say that that arrow is at 90 degrees right there with the dead center that can make the bow feel a certain way um, when you're holding it at full draw as compared to if you took your arrow rest and your knocking point and move them up equally so that you're still keeping your 90 degree position from your arrow to your string but essentially you're just raising that arrow to where instead of the arrow uh instead of the bottom of the arrow shaft going right through the center of the burger buttonhole now that the bottom of that arrow is sitting at 90 degrees but it's at the top edge of the of that burger buttonhole and then the next uh variation of that would be that entire thing being lower to where the arrow is closer to your hand um and the bottom of the arrow shaft is more at the bottom edge of that burger button hole and still at 90 degrees. So this is, um, this is relative because the pulling point on your string has a direct relation to where your hand is sitting on the riser. Because as you pull that bow back, you're, in a way you're creating two triangles you're you have you know your bow is forward and where your hand is sitting could essentially be one triangle as it comes up to the top cams and then there's a triangle that comes back down um, to where you're you know you're holding the string itself 
and that position can really start to determine how that bow wants to hold how it wants to float a good way to describe this for anyone who's built a drawboard if you've ever built a drawboard um, then when you put your uh, bow on the drawboard and then you clip the kind of the boat crank boat crank uh, string to the you know you can click it on your D loop and as you crank it back it it'll cause the bow to kind of cock one direction or you can you can take your clip uh, of the bow crank and you can move it to a different position on the string and pull it back and then all of a sudden the bow wants to sit perfect right so this is like an exaggerated um, example of what I'm talking about so if you want to try that try raising your knocking position and your arrow rest up equally uh, and then shoot it for a few days, see how it feels. If it feels way better, then obviously you did the right thing. Um, if it doesn't seem to change, then move it down just a little bit. And honestly, a quarter inch up, a quarter inch down from center will give you uh, huge variations. Um, other than that, if your draw length is improper, it definitely uh, starts to make you struggle that way. The other thing too is... Um, I'm just a very simplistic person when it comes to stabilization and weight of stabilization. I think a lot of people out there struggle with trying to shoot too much. Um, and, you know, obviously nine ounces is um, almost, you know, it's, well, it's almost half a pound. Probably by the time, you know, by the time you have... Um, the stabilizer itself and nine ounces of weight, you're talking possibly up to a pound of extra weight on the rear portion of your bow. For some, it might make them more steady, but for others, they may struggle and you may end up kind of counteracting that weight by changing your posture to where you're just not able to aim solid. So go back through, watch, um, Again, watch the Nocton or uh, the School of Knock series. All these things that I've built since week one are building you into a foundation that is going to make you more solid on the target. But it's not something you're going to do overnight. So don't try to freaking cram for the test. If you just all of a sudden watch one thing one week every day to catch up, then it'll show up you're only cheating yourself that's the truth of it seems true for me I can't out cheat the system I have to start at square one and work my way back every year uh, whenever I do it it goes good if I don't it goes bad so alright everybody appreciate it and uh, hope you guys do good looking forward to this week sorry I'm a little bit hoarse uh, I gotta rest up so we'll talk at y'all later knock on everybody be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com